Today's passage is from Luke chapter 4, starting in verse 31. And then he went down to Capernaum, a city of Galilee, and was teaching them on the Sabbath. And they were astonished at his teaching, for his word was with authority. Now in the synagogue there was a man who had a spirit of an unclean demon. And he cried out with a loud voice, saying, Let us alone. What have we to do with you, Jesus of Nazareth? Did you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be quiet and come out of him. And when the demon had thrown him in their midst, it came out of him and did not hurt him. Then they were all amazed and spoke among themselves, saying, what a word this is, for with authority and power he commands the unclean spirits. And they come out, and the report about him went out into every place in the surrounding region. Now he arose from the synagogue and entered Simon's house. But Simon's wife's mother was sick with a high fever, and they made request of him concerning her. So he stood over her and rebuked the fever, and it left her and immediately she arose and served them. When the sun was setting, all those who had any that were sick with various diseases brought them to him. And he laid his hands on every one of them and healed them. And demons also came out of many, crying out and saying, You are the Christ, the Son of God. And he, rebuking them, did not allow them to speak, for they knew that he was the Christ. Now when it was day, he departed and went into a deserted place. And the crowd sought him and came to him and tried to keep him from leaving them. But he said to them, I must preach the kingdom of God to other cities also, because for this purpose I have been sent. And he was preaching in the synagogues of Galilee. <coughs> Dear Lord, please give us understanding for the words you're about to give us. Please give Pastor Andrew power and grace for his message. Please have, give us open hearts to receive this message and to agree with you and to change our own opinions and interpretations based on your word expositive. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, we are still in the region of Galilee, but Jesus has now moved from where he was over in his hometown of Nazareth to Capernaum. And remember from last week in Nazareth, he was rejected. But now he's moved to Galilee, which was a city on roughly the northwest shore of the Sea of, the sea of Galilee, or has moved to Capernaum, which is on the northwest side of the Sea of Galilee. It's a fishing town. Uh, and here he will basically set up camp uh, headquarters for the next 18 months uh, and do a large deal of ministry within the region of Galilee. Remember, Luke focuses on the region of Galilee through chapter 9, so we'll be, be thinking about uh, Christ's ministry in Galilee there for some time. But what we see here uh, as we read through Luke 4, especially this passage, is kind of a day in the life of Jesus. Uh, it's a full day, isn't it? Uh, it's a day where he's teaching in the synagogues, 
Uh, and he is, he's casting out demons. Uh, he's healing. Uh, he's healing men and women. He's, he's working with crowds and with individuals. And, and the people again and again and again, as you read that and hear that, are, are astonished. They're astonished at his teaching. They're astonished at his miracles. Uh, they're astonished at the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ. And as, as we take even a closer look at, at this text this morning, we see they're, they're astonished also at his authority. Uh, the authority of Christ is the overwhelming theme of this text of Scripture. His authority is on display, and it's, it's important to catch that because remember last week, Jesus went in the synagogue of Nazareth, and he read Isaiah 61, 1 and 2, and it talks about the anointed Christ, anointed by the Spirit who's come to proclaim liberty and, and sight to the blind and good news to the poor, and, and Jesus ends up by saying, today, this has been fulfilled in your hearing. Now is the day of acceptance or welcome from the Father. That's an amazing message uh, that the Lord Jesus Christ is saying. He's saying, I'm the rescuer. I am the liberator. I am the one who is going to accomplish this. This isn't future. This isn't past. This, this is now. This is happening now through me, is what Jesus is saying. And now we come to this next portion where he moves from Nazareth to Capernaum. He's made that amazing statement. And the question at this point is, 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 is this, is anyone can talk a big game, right? Anyone can, can talk a big game. Anyone can make themselves look or sound impressive, but can you back it up, right? Can, can you back it up? Do you have the power to bring it about? There's, there's a big difference between talk and action, and Jesus has talked a big game, right? I'm the one, I'm the rescuer, I'm the liberator, I'm the one who's going to do this, but... Where's the action? And in our text, in Luke 4, 31 through 44, we're going to see that Jesus can deliver. He demonstrates his power, or you can say his authority, to deliver on his promises. We're going to see his authority to teach. In fact, if you have the bulletin, the outline's in there. You're going to see his authority to teach. You're going to see his authority over demons or, or evil. We're going to see his authority over illness. And we're going to see his authority over awe that we're going to think about what that means for us. So Jesus' authority to teach in verses 31 and 32, it says, Jesus went down to Capernaum, a city of Galilee, again, the northwest region of, this, of Galilee, and he was teaching them on the Sabbath, that's Saturday, and they were astonished at his teaching. Why? For his word possessed authority. Well, that's, that's interesting, Right? They're astonished at his teaching because his word possessed authority. And I bear in mind, these guys are in the synagogue every Sabbath, and they're hearing God's word every Sunday. We talked about, or every Saturday, every Sabbath. We talked about that last week. But what's different? Why are they amazed at Jesus' teaching? How, how was it different from the regular teaching that they received? And as, as, I, as I thought about that, I'm sure there's more we could come up with, but one thought that came into my, my mind is the emphasis on the Spirit, yes? Remember, Luke wants us to understand and see the, the impact and the power and the importance of the Holy Spirit, and all through Luke 1 through 4, there's been emphasis on the Spirit, and Jesus is filled with the Spirit. And so I think his teaching is authoritative because it's Spirit-filled or Spirit-empowered, but I think his teaching is also authoritative for another reason. 
It's authoritative because when the teachers of the law would teach, they would say, God's word says this. But Jesus walks in and he says, I say this. And the best way I could think to illustrate this is, and if you have kids, I think this will resonate with you, is let's say, and I know this never happens in your house, I mean, it certainly never happens in mine, but let's, let's say the kids are in the playroom or the family room and they're making a ruckus. Uh, I don't know what it is they're doing, uh, but they're not getting along. Uh, there's some kind of commotion, but one of your other children are sitting there and so you say to your child, Hey, would you go to the family room and tell them, stop doing that, right? Start doing this or, or, or some, something like that. Stop doing that, start, start doing this. So your child goes and, and tells them, they report that, and they say, Dad says, stop that, don't do that, or whatever, however it is they say that. The message comes with the authority of Dad, Right? The, children, the child is the one saying it, but the message comes with the authority of dad. It's my message through the child. They should obey it. But what happens? They keep on doing whatever they are doing. And I can hear it, right? And so I decide I should, I should probably be a responsible parent. And I put my book down or I turn the TV off or whatever it is that I'm doing. And then I go and I talk to them and say to them, stop doing that start doing this. I think that's the authority that's happening with here. Jesus is not reporting what someone else has said. Jesus is the source of authority. In the flesh, he has come and he says, I say, I say, I say. He didn't just preach about God. He was God. He's the Son of God speaking. In fact, combine that with the Spirit. This is the Spirit of God upon the Son of God preaching the Word of God. Amen. And that's authoritative. And the people are shocked. They're astonished by it, right? Verse 32, astonished at his teaching, blown away by it. So Jesus authoritative teaching. And hang on to that. We're going to come back to that because I want us to see his authority over evil. And we see his authority over evil in verses 33 through 37. Verse 33 says, in the synagogue, there was a man who had the spirit of an unclean demon and he cried out with a loud voice, ha, huh, what have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Now today, Many are tempted to just dismiss passages of Scripture like this. Right? All that talk about demons. Come on. What year is this? 2021? We know better. That, that wasn't demon possession. Uh, that, was, that was probably something else. Probably a mental illness wrongly attributed to demons. Just this, or this is misunderstanding. This is superstition. Right? But the other way people flip with it is, is it's not superstition. They see it everywhere they go. Everywhere they go, there's demonic activity. And I want you to know that the Bible is very clear that there are evil powers at work in this world. And the Bible is very clear about the existence of Satan and demons who work for him. And I want you to notice about this demon that he knows who Jesus is. 
He knows he's Jesus of Nazareth. He, he says that in verse 34. He, he knows he's the Holy One of God. You see, demons have good theology. They have very good theology. They know Jesus is the Messiah, but knowing was not enough, right? They know it and they hate it. They didn't respect the title. This is a great example, just as a side note, of how good theology saves no one. A bunch of knowing a bunch of information and facts does not save you. Do delight in the one. Do delight in the Father. Do delight in the Son. The other thing to notice about this demon is he's scared. Have you come to destroy us? Yeah, what, what do you want with us anyways, right? So let's do our thing. Get away. Leave us alone. That's essentially what they're saying, and I think they have a good reason to be afraid. Uh, just, just earlier, we spent some time earlier in Luke 4 in the wilderness temptation, and Jesus walked right in, and he knocked out the prince, right? He knocked out their leader. He knocked out Satan. If he can take them out, him out, he can take them out, right? I'm sure word has traveled. This is the one who knocked out Satan. Satan failed. This is the Savior. This is the Messiah. They have fear. If Jesus can overcome him, he can overcome them. And we rejoice in that truth that Jesus came to do that as the Holy One of God, the Anointed One. He's been sent to proclaim that liberty. We rejoice in Hebrews 2, verses 14 and 15 that says, Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, Jesus likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death. Who's that? The devil. And deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. So this demon is scared, rightly so. And Jesus rebukes him, verse 35, Jesus rebuked him saying, be silent and come out of him. And when the demon had thrown him down in their midst, he came out of him, having done him no harm. I love that. Jesus rebukes him, casts cast out the demon, and the man is unharmed. And notice, please, there's no contest Please notice, this, this isn't like what you see if you've seen this in movies or TV shows. There's, there's no incantations or throwing and sweating and struggling and nail-biting like, man, who's going to win this fight? Jesus rebukes the, the, the demon has to obey. There's no contest. There's no contest. The demon has to leave. He, and the demon doesn't even get a last dig in, right? The man is unharmed. He has to pull out, and the man's unharmed. So we see from this that Jesus has complete and utter authority over demons and over evil. He has so much authority uh, that it says, uh, verse, verse 35, be silent. He puts him on mute. He does that twice, actually, verse 41, you, you see the same thing. He doesn't even allow the, the demons to testify to who he is. He doesn't want their testimony. He didn't come to rescue them. He came to rescue people. And so you might be asking, I'm, I'm sure some of you are asking and wondering, what about demon possession today? Or maybe you're wondering this, why, why is there so much talk about demons in the, in the Gospels that we don't seem to see a whole lot of demon possession today? Those are good questions. I think it's helpful to remember when you read through the Old Testament, you don't read a whole lot about demon possession either. And it's also helpful to remember that as you read through the rest of the New Testament, you don't hear very much about demon possession there either. In fact, 
as I studied this, I, one person said, and I tried to check it, and I think this is true, that outside of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, there are only four references to demon possession. Two in the Old and two from Acts to Revelation. That's interesting, isn't it? It's very enlightening. Of course, uh, during the future tribulation, demonic activity will, will greatly increase. And while Jesus was on earth and he's exercising his public ministry, there's this highly concentrated or intense confrontation with the powers of Satan. Again, I don't think that should surprise us that this is happening during Jesus' earthly, earthly ministry. Again, he came to destroy Satan. I believe Satan knows this is a crucial hour in God's plan. And Satan's throwing everything he can throw, the full weight of everything he's got to stop Jesus. I think that's what's happening. I also believe strongly Satan is on God's leash. And that God is allowing the demons to manifest this way as Jesus is on the earth to demonstrate Jesus' authority over them. Again, I think it's very important for us to recognize that Satan is real and he is at work today. Again, the Bible is clear on that. Jesus is clear on that. Jesus speaks pretty forthrightly, even calling uh, those who don't trust in him as the Messiah children of the devil. Now, that's, that's not something we go around calling people, is it? That's not something we, we normally say. And you might hear that child of the devil, and, and I don't know what comes to your mind, but you might picture like this really awful, evil, wicked person, right? Child of the devil. But when Jesus says that in John chapter 8, he's speaking to very morally respectable people. People on the outside looking in look like some pretty great people, and Jesus says, child of the devil. Who or what does it mean to be a child of the devil? A child of the devil means you follow him, you're convinced by his lies, you're under his power and control. And again, the truth of the scripture is, is that all who are not trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ, all who have not turned from their sin and are trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ are referred to by the Bible as children of the devil. Right. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 1 says about us, uh, you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. Catch what it says. Following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the, sins of dis in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived. So Satan is very real. And he has lots of followers. A lot of people don't even know that they're following him, but they are. I would suggest to you that demon possession is just the tip of the iceberg in Satan's arsenal. He's at work in countless other ways that we don't always see and that aren't as obvious as demon possession. He's very subtle. He has many schemes. And it would seem to me uh, that here in the West, that Satan doesn't work much through the obvious of demon possession. I think that would be a poor strategy on his part in the West. And I think Satan's making lots of headway using the strategy he's using, convincing everyone that he doesn't exist, and convincing everyone that they're good, and there is no shame, there is no guilt, there's nothing to feel bad about. Live your life, it's your life, live it. Don't let anyone get on you for that. That seems to be a strategy in the West, and it's working. But if you were to go in some other regions uh, that 
fall under what's often referred to as the fear power worldview. I don't know if you've heard of that before. It's common in missiology, the study of missions, uh, and studying worldviews and cultures. Uh, there's the culture of fear power. And that's a very prevalent worldview or culture in places like Africa, in Latin America, even parts of Asia, and actually increasingly parts of the United States uh, in certain regions of the United States. But what, what the fear power worldview or culture is, is this tremendous fear of evil spirits. And this tremendous fear of dark forces, and they will regularly employ spells and potions and rituals to avoid misfortune and foil evil spirits. And I believe in those regions, demon possession is very readily accepted and very readily used by Satan. You see, I'm trying to get you see, to see that this is partly the answer to, is there demon possession today? Yes, why don't we see it as much? And I've told you one reason is you don't see it a whole lot in the scriptures outside of the Gospels anyways. But another reason is Satan has lots of different schemes and tactics. And he's smart about where he employs them and how he employs them. But the most important thing to catch is Satan is real. He's powerful. He has many schemes. He holds people in slavery. But Jesus came to do what? To free us, to liberate us, to rescue us. Jesus has authority over evil. Satan and his kingdom fear him. They panic at his presence. And I would throw in there, this is why Christians cannot be demon-possessed. Jesus delivered us from the domain of darkness. He transferred us to the kingdom of his son. Romans 8.37 says that in Jesus we are more than conquerors. 1 John 4.4 says he who is in us is greater than he who is in the world. Yes, Satan is alive. He is real and he hates you. He seeks to destroy you and his, his power is immense. He seeks to steal and kill and destroy, but Jesus is our champion. Jesus is anointed by God to rescue us, to liberate us. He has authority over evil. In Jesus, you have nothing to fear. Amen? He has authority over evil. He also has authority over sickness. We see that in Verses 38 through 41, he has authoritative teaching, he has authority over evil, he has authority over sickness. Uh, that very same day, he, he's teaching in the synagogue, and then he, he casts out the demon, then he travels to uh, Simon Peter's mother, mother-in-law, she's, she's ill, he says she has a high fever in verse 38, which is to say she's very, 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 very sick. This isn't like a, a light fever or a small little uh, cold or, or something like that. She's, she's, she's very ill. And Jesus is asked to help her. In verse 39, it says, he stood over her. Uh, Matthew and Mark note that he actually takes her by the hand. Luke doesn't note that, but Matthew and Mark do. He stands over her, takes her by the hand, very tender, very compassionate, and he rebukes the fever. He told it to go away, and it left her. Man, that's power, right? Can you imagine that? If you have some kind of sickness and you just rebuke it, it's gone. He has power over sickness. And I love how verse 39 ends. Uh, he stood over her, rebuked her, it left her immediately, immediately. She rose and began to do what? To serve them. Now, I think that's there for, for two reasons. One, to show, to show you this wasn't any like, kind of like, 
She got a little bit better, she's feeling better, but still needed a few days to recuperate. Well, this is total restoration. When Jesus heals, he heals wholly, right? So he's, she's, she's deathly ill, has high fever, Jesus heals her. Man, she's up and about serving, serving, serving. And that's the other point, right? When Jesus works in your life, isn't that how we all respond? I just want to serve him. I just want to glorify him. I want to make much of him. I want others to see him. Well, verse 40, the sun was setting, which is to say it's the end of the Sabbath. And so now everyone's free to kind of move about. And it says, all those, big word, right? All those who had any who were sick with various diseases brought them to him. I love this. He laid his hands on them. So it's very tender. It's very compassionate. Very, very loving. He lays his hands on them and he heals them. So if you can actually, Mark records that the actual, the whole town of Capernaum comes out. We don't know how big it was. People guess 1,500, 2,000. So it's not a huge, huge town, but probably a pretty big line outside the house. If you can picture that line, maybe some of them have broken bones, others maybe have tumors, some have diseases. Uh, just a long list of different illnesses, and Jesus heals them all. What a Savior. And then he casts out more demons. Verse 41 mentions demons also came out of many, crying, you are the Son of God. Remarkable text. Again, we can ask the question, does Jesus still have this kind of power today? Does Jesus still have this, this healing power today? And, and the answer is yes. Of course he does. However, I think we need to be clear that this is not his normal way of working. There's a reason we call them miracles. That means they don't happen every day. They're rare. I believe God's typical way to answer our prayers for healing is through the normal means of medical care, and the biblical word for this is providence. I think often we're too quick to call things miracles, or really it's just God's gracious providence. And bear in mind here as we think about this question, does Jesus still have this healing power today, is why did he do this? Why did he perform all these miracles? He performed them to prove who he was, right? To show that he is the one who's the fulfillment of Isaiah 61, 1 and 2. In other words, what I'm trying to say is Jesus did not perform all of these miracles to teach you to always expect miracles. I think we go awry there quite often. We think, well, Jesus performed all these miracles. He should be doing that now in my life. And that's not the point. The point was to show he's the Messiah. He's the liberator. He's the rescuer. It was to demonstrate his authority, that he was who he said he was. You see the same thing as you read through Acts. As, as the good news of Jesus spreads the new communities, the wonder-working power of the, of, of the apostles follows closely behind. Why? He's a, it's authenticating the message. The miracles prove that what the apostles and the gospel were saying were true. And same with Jesus. His miracles prove the way he was saying was true. So I just, just want to be pastoral here for a, a moment and, and ask that question, what should we do when we get sick? And, or maybe you know someone who's very sick. Very, very real possibility, yes. And the first thing I would say to you is, do not for any second go to those con men who want you to give them their what? Your what? Your money. Man, don't, don't for a second 
do that or believe that or buy that. If you're watching TBN, Trinity Broadcasting Network, man, if you can delete that, delete it. Get rid of that. It's nonsense. I would say this. I would say first, trust your father. If you're sick or you know someone who's sick, tr man, trust your father. Trust his goodness. Don't trust in the healing, trust in the healer who's healing you in ways you can't even necessarily see. Secondly, pray in Jesus' name. What do I mean by that? I don't mean that if, you, if you pray something and throw Jesus' name at the end of it, then suddenly your prayer just went from here to here in priority or hierarchy. That's not what that means. When we pray in Jesus' name, it means to surrender. You're surrendering your will, your request to a God, to a plan that's greater than you. When you pray in Jesus' name, you're asking God to do whatever God needs to do that will bring the most majesty and glory and honor to his name, even if it means my pain and my suffering. Pray in Jesus' name. Third, by all means, yes, pray in the name of Jesus for healing whenever you or a loved one are sick. God is able to do the impossible, and sometimes he graciously, miraculously does. So pray for miraculous healing, but recognize and humbly submit to the truth that sometimes God chooses not to heal that way. Praise God that there is a day coming where all sickness and all death, all trials, all illnesses, all of this will be gone forevermore. But we, that day is not today. We still live in a sin-cursed world. Our bodies are still weak and susceptible to disease. So pray for healing, trusting in the Father's love to do what's right. And fourthly, I would say if you are ill or someone you know are ill, I would say this, look for the spiritual lessons that God is trying to teach you. Look for those lessons that God is trying to teach you in the trial. Yes, healing is wonderful. We want that physical healing, but God uses physical trials to heal us on a deeper level spiritually. Remember that Jesus is much more concerned about the healing of our inward soul. And those lessons could be any number. Be, beware of while you're suffering or those you know who are suffering to murmur and complain or to become impatient. I, I, I know we would all like to learn spiritual lessons in, in a life of ease, <laughs> but it doesn't, doesn't work that way. God knows better than we do. Trials and persecutions, physical illness, man, they're no fun at all, but it's just imperative uh, that to the best of our ability, we remind ourselves, and this, this is crucial, and I hope this hooks into your mind, we need to remind ourselves our sovereign God at any moment in a split second could remove any physical illness in your life, and he's choosing not to. Why? Right? If he's allowing it, what is he trying to accomplish? And trust him. Romans 8.28 says, We know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. That's a glorious, breathtaking, confidence-giving verse. God works through all things, even sickness and pain for our good and his glory. Everything, all things are being woven together into God's glorious, unstoppable plan for us. So I just offer up those, those truths to help you or to help others uh, who may be uh, going through physical times of, of hardship.
Next, I want us to see Jesus' authority over all. We see this in verses 42 through 44. Again, he has authoritative teaching. He has authority over illness or demons. He has authority over uh, physical illness. He has authority over all. Verse 42, when it was day, he departed and went into a desolate place, most likely uh, assuming to pray, spend time with his father. But the people, what do the people do? It says, verse 42, the people sought him and came to him and would have kept him from leaving them. I mean, again, that's not surprising, right? Put yourself in their shoes. You live in Capernaum, and and Jesus shows up, and his teaching is amazing, and his healing is amazing. He's casting out demons, and he's he's healing people who are physically ill. Do you want him to leave? There's no way you want him to leave, right? You're you're trying to cling to him. Don't don't leave. Don't go. Stay here, Jesus. And Jesus' response uh, in verse 43 is, I must preach the good news of the kingdom to the other towns as well, for I was sent for this purpose. Do you hear that divine must? I must. I must. I must do what? I must preach. This is staggering to think about. Jesus has the opportunity to be the world's greatest healer, but he chooses instead to be the world's greatest preacher. His priority was to preach what? The good news of the kingdom of God. And I I could preach a whole message on the kingdom of God. But we're going to have an opportunity to do that as we move through Luke. That's just a major theme in the scriptures. But just for now, briefly, the kingdom of God basically means God's rule or God's power. It means that God is king and he's reigning over his world. But most of the world doesn't see that, right? Most of the world doesn't recognize that. And one day that will change. One day all nations will bow to God as their king. And so what Jesus goes about proclaiming everywhere he can to all the surrounding regions is God reigns. The good news of, of God, that he does reign. And as Jesus travels about teaching and healing and casting out demons, he's giving a glimpse into that kingdom. He's helping the world and us to see this is what the kingdom of God looks like. This is what it will be like in the future. This is what's, what's here now in part and is, is, is coming closer with each day as, as God continues to build his kingdom and his gospel goes forth. Again, Jesus' healing and his teaching and his casting out demons, it, it's showing the world that God reigns. This is what his kingdom is like. And you enter this kingdom by faith. You don't enter this kingdom by doing. God does the doing. He's building his kingdom. You need to receive it or reject it. And that's what he went about preaching. Wherever he could, that God reigns. Authority. So Christians, this is our Savior. The authoritative Savior. Authority over demons, authority over physical illness, authority over awe, authoritative teaching. This is our Jesus. Are you amazed at his authority? Are you in awe of his authority? Humbled by his authority? Here's a thought that hit me. If, if this is my picture of Jesus, this Jesus with authoritative teaching, authority over evil, authority over illness, authority over, over every country, every people, every land, then should I not be astonished by him? 
And, 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 and more than that, if, if Jesus has this kind of authority, should I not submit to him? And should I not make his priorities my priorities? And should not his priorities be the priorities of the church? Those, those are thoughts that, that wrestle through my mind. And if, th- if this is what Jesus is like, then what does it look like for me to follow him and, and to make his priorities mine? And we could say a lot there, but I just have three, uh, f- uh, some, some final thoughts, three thoughts about Jesus' authority and what that should mean for us. Number one, we must be saturated in the scriptures. Jesus came to do what? Preach. A love for God's word. In our personal lives, we should be astonished at God's word. Man, God's word, this, this which we hold in our hands or which you have on your your electronic device, this is the most powerful thing in the universe. Amen? This is the most powerful thing in the universe. Has more power than all the kingdoms and armies of this world combined. Has power to transform lives to repair and restore the brokenhearted. And therefore, the Word should be the center of your life. The Word should be that which you hunger and thirst after and read and study and devour, and it should devour you. It should master you. It should exercise control over what you think and say and do. It should also be the center of the church. Many of you know that I I pastored up in the UP for for 10 years uh, in this huge metropolis. Uh, known as, as Newberry, uh, the moose, moose capital of the world, uh, not far from paradise, just 20 minutes down the road is paradise. You guys have hell down here, right? The town of hell. We had paradise. So heaven and, heaven and hell, huh? Uh, that's, that's for next week. Uh, <clears throat> next week we're going to take a field trip to hell. No. Uh, <laughs> uh, but small town, the population of the census in 2010 uh, was 1,498 people uh, who lived there. So roughly the same size as, as Capernaum. And when, when we arrived at the church there in, in 2008, I like to tell the joke, it's kind of a joke, it's also true, uh, that Val and I, we were the youth group. Uh, by far the youngest. Uh, everyone else there was, was roughly 50 or so and up. Uh, no other families with, with, with children that I, that I can recall. Uh, so uh, a hard place to be. Spiritually dark place. The church had been through some hard times. They'd gone two and a half years without a pastor, which is a very long time. And so the church was struggling immensely. It was down to maybe 20, 25 people each week. Uh, God did a gracious thing. Uh, nothing with me, everything with his word and the power of his word. And that's, that's why I'm sharing this. I want you to exalt in his word uh, that by the time we left, the church was averaging roughly 75 a week. Uh, that might not sound like much to you, but this is the UP. <laughs> And so Ken Floyd, who's doing our ministry action plan and helping us with a lot of these things, he would often jokingly call it the megachurch of the UP. Uh, there was a, a friend of mine there who pastored a very liberal church. Uh, and he one day inquired of me. He, he noticed that the church was growing and he wanted to know why. And, and he asked me why. And my answer was very simple. I said, hey, we believe this is true and we preach it. He was not impressed by that answer, <laughs> but it's the truth. God builds his kingdom by the preaching of the word. And in every age, there have been people who try and diminish what we're doing right now, the preaching and the listening of his word, and the church suffers for it. 
but in every day and age where the preaching of God's word and his word is held high, the church thrives. We need to be people of the book. We need to be receptive to its authoritative truth. We need to be scripture saturated. The word preached is God's principal means for awakening sinners and encouraging the saints. Secondly, we must find people who need God and love them with the love of Christ. So what I'm not saying this morning is all we need to do is is just take this Bible and whack them with it, and that's good enough. Jesus was fiercely relational. And I tried to point that out as we made our way through through Luke 4. Jesus loved others. He puts others before himself. I mean, mean, he's got to be tired. He's he's teaching and teaching and teaching. He casts out a demon. Then he goes to Simon's mother-in-law's house and this long line of people, he's healing them probably into the the wee hours of the morning, right? He's got to be tired. But people are his, 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 his love. He puts them before himself. And how does he heal them? He, notice he doesn't hold them way back, but he touches them. That's amazing love and compassion and tender care. People flock to him because they sense his compassion. And I, I feel compelled to say that maybe there, there's someone here this morning who's, who's afraid to come to Jesus. You're, you're a little bit uneasy here or, 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 or something's just going on in your heart and, and you're not sure what to think about Jesus and, and what he'll do or if people knew some of the things in your thoughts or, or things that you've done this week or over your life. I don't know what people would do or think. I, I, I want you to hear this morning that Jesus will deal with you personally and compassionately. He will deal with you like a shepherd with his sheep. He, he does not beat his sheep. He tenderly, tenderly, get that picture in your mind, tenderly binds up the brokenhearted, pours healing oil on their sores. So if you're, you're here this morning and you're wounded and you're hurting, man, come to Jesus. He'll touch you. He'll heal you spiritually. Let's learn the lesson Jesus prioritized others. Jesus saw people as opportunities to love, not interruptions. Is that an ouch or an amen? Jesus was filled with tender love and compassion for people. I I think in a world as fast-paced as ours, this is a much-needed reminder that, that transformation happens primarily through close association. Think in your own life, who's had the greatest impact on you? Uh, I'm willing to bet that some books, some lectures, some videos you've watched have impacted you, but generally the greatest impact that someone has in your life is they spend time with you. Maybe they spend time around the campfire, or they go on vacation with you, or they sit down and listen to you, they go to a game with you, they worship with you, you pray with them, or you sit down and have some coffee with them. I don't know why you would do that, coffee's disgusting, but still, you sit down to have coffee with them, uh, you, you love the person, so you sit there and you let them drink coffee, right? And then you talk with them. Uh, in Newberry, I can't stand fish, but everyone up there loved the fish, so what did I do? I went fishing a lot, not because I like fish, but because I like people, and I wanted to have close association with them, and I wanted to have a transforming influence in their life, and them in mine. That doesn't happen by holding people back like this. 
So mark it down again. People are not interruptions. They are the mission. That's why I tell you all the time, that door is always open. Usually that's literal. <laughs> it's, it's open, and any time you walk in that office, you are not interrupting me. You are why I am here. That should be the heartbeat that, that all of us have. So when someone calls you and says, hey, I need to talk, can we talk? Or, or a coworker uh, requests feedback on a project, or a church member calls and says, I need help moving a dresser, or your, your, I'm going to call some of you this week just to test that one. But you have maybe your son or your daughter, uh, they come up to you and say, Mom, Dad, will you read this book to me? Or, hey, Mom, can we, can we talk about this? Or, or, hey, Dad, will you play toys with me? Yeah, maybe that disrupts your schedule, totally overturns your plans, leaves your to-do list half done, right? The horror of it. But it's not about that. It's about the people. Transformation happens by close association. They're not interruptions. They're opportunities to love and listen and care and serve and touch with Christ-like care and compassion. But we can't stop there. There's a third point. The third point is we must not let anything get in the way of sharing the good news with them. Because what I'm not standing up here saying is, man, if we just love everybody, everything will be great and wonderful, and that's all we have to do is just love people, right? What do people need? They need love, right? You hear that all the time? Just love them, just love them. If you want to love them, then care for them, care for their needs, listen to their hurts, but speak the truth in love to them. Share God's word with them. If all we do is just love people and never share the gospel with them, we're guilty of the social gospel. We need to open our mouths and preach the gospel. It doesn't mean, when I say preach, by the way, it doesn't mean do what I'm doing. I just mean you're sharing God's truth in love. And I want to ask you, when, when you re- read that or hear that in verse 43, where Jesus says, I must preach the good news, is, is, is that passion burning in your heart? I must preach the gospel. I, nothing's going to get in my way. Nothing's going to slow me down from sharing the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ. Is that burning in your soul this morning? I must share the good news of the kingdom that God reigns. And his Savior, his Son, has redeemed us and liberated us and rescued us from power of of, of evil and, and sickness and all these other things. Jesus is our authority. He's our Lord. He's our Savior. God reigns. He's conquered sin and death. What a savior he is. Is, is that burning in you? I, I, I just can't keep it to myself. The, the gospel is not meant for hiding. The gospel is not meant for keeping it to yourself. The gospel is for sharing. I must, I must, I must. And remember our discipleship pathway at our church. We, we try and put it everywhere. It's on, on the front of the bulletin, which I think I left down there. Uh, but it's believe, belong, become, build, Right? That's our discipleship pathway. That's our passion statement. That's why we exist. It all starts with believing. We place all of our hope and trust in Jesus. All of our hope and trust in Jesus. And we seek to surrender every area of our life to him. But it's not just, doesn't just stop there. We belong. We pursue meaningful relationships, intentional friendships with one another. Can you see how this pathway is coming right out of Luke 4? We, we belong. We have these relationships, this culture of grace and, and one anothering. The, the Christian life is not meant to be lived in isolation. If you live your life in isolation, you will crash and burn. 
But then we become, as, as we build relationships, sanctification happens, we become more like Christ, we grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus. As, as a spiritual family, we love you too much, and God loves you too much to let you be comfortable in your spirituality. We want you to become more like the Lord Jesus Christ, and all of that leads to build as we submit to the reign of Jesus Christ in all things, we believe God works through us to build his kingdom here in West Michigan and all around the world. Build, that believe, belong, become, build, is what believe, belong, become are all aiming towards or, or pushing towards. The, the goal is, is not to come here and have a holy huddle and sing kumbaya and hold hands and, and just pat one another on the back and say it's going to be all right. The, the, the goal here is to say with Jesus, I must preach. I must preach the good news of the gospel to Barry County and Algon County. The, the build is saying we exist for those outside these walls. Our goal here is not just to keep the members happy. We exist for those who aren't here yet. We are to be outward focused. This is why we give your money away to people all over the world. This is why next week we have Invite Your One. This is why a month ago we did the Orangeville picnic. Uh, this is why our growth groups every few months or so, whatever, are supposed to be doing outreach events into the community. This is why we do all these things. Like, like Josiah just talked about with youth group and Word of Life. Why do we do that? Yes, it's to, it's to help people go deep, but it's also to reach out, to reach the lost. We are to be a discipleship center training up men and women who are astonished at God's word, love people, bursting at their seams to talk about Jesus, ascending church, developing and deploying Christ's astonished disciples. That's our mission. Multiplication. I've shared this with you before, but I'm going to share it again, and I feel compelled, especially with all that's happening in Afghanistan. The, the big thing God just whacked me with yesterday, I, I was driving out the family fair to get some things that we needed, and I'm praying for Afghanistan, and this thought just nails me, and I almost had to stop driving because it hit me that hard, that, that look, don't waste the freedom that we have. Don't waste the privileges that we have in, the, in this country, the freedom that we have. What, what they're going through is such an example to us. Let's redeem the time. And what I mean by that, I'll, I'll illustrate it this way, is is you know that Orangeville is just a bustling community because we have a family dollar, right? Amen. <laughs> that gets an amen. Someone likes, Arden likes family dollar. It seems like family dollar's mission is everywhere they can squeeze in a store, my word, they're going to squeeze it in there. <laughs> right? There's an open spot. Let's build a family dollar. Why am I sharing that? I'm sharing that because they do that for a buck to gain money. My word, we got something so much better. We have the gospel, we have the kingdom, we have Jesus and his authority. We should be putting family dollar to shame and they're putting us to shame often. Is that an ouch or an amen? How much more should we be driven for God to build his kingdom through us, plant new churches, help revitalize churches, all for the cause of Jesus. Orangeville Baptist Church, Jesus has given us a mission that pushes us outside these walls, that says with this deep yearning, I must preach the gospel, and maybe, maybe that makes you uncomfortable. Where, where are Lake Ann campers? 
What's, what's that lake ant saying? You guys are, we're sitting here and you threw me off this week. But that lake ant saying that the, from the comfort zone to the what? Come on, who's here from lake ant? Where's Lexi? There it is, the groan zone, right? And so lake ant, they emphasize that you grow when you're pushed out of your comfort zone. Again, we all want to grow in our comfort zone, but it just doesn't seem to work that way. We need to be lovingly encouraged and sometimes pushed out of our comfort zone so that we will grow. And this puts us right back to being astonished by Jesus. When you're astonished by Jesus and you're astonished by his authority, then you talk about him. I don't know any better way to motivate you to talk about Jesus than to preach about his authority. If you can read this text and, and hear about his authority over demons, his authoritative teachings, his authority over illness, his authority over awe, and that doesn't make you want to talk about him, I don't know what else to say. If you're astonished by his authority, that compels you to want to talk about him. And more than that, that compels you to want to sit under his word and know his word and learn his word. And from there, it compels you to want to love other people and, and, and comfort other people and care for other people. And then from there, as your mind is saturated with his word and you're astonished by him and your love for people, the, this growing ambition grows and grows and grows. That I'm going to share the gospel more and more and more and more because God reigns, he reigns, he reigns, and I must preach it, I must share it. OBC, are we up for that mission? May his authority astonish us and compel us to submit to him, to be saturated in his word, to reach out to those who are hurting with the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ.